Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 173. And my guest this week is Jem Siao of the incredible Australian hardcore band Speed. They put out an EP back in 2022 called Gang Called Speed on Flat Spot Records and uh, just the attention and love that they've been getting these past couple of years has been really cool to see. Um, have a funny relationship with Jem where uh, we ran into each other and kind of reconnected at a festival, a hardcore festival that we played over the summer in Europe and um, just realized that we had toured together because he played in another band when uh, Touche last toured Australia with Turnover. So his other band opened that, and so we reconnected, and it was really cool, and that kind of led to this conversation. We talk about that a little bit in this episode, but Jim is just such a sweet person, and uh, I really love this conversation, and I think you will too. I want to let you know that there's a bonus episode available right now where Jim answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that plus all of the other bonus episodes, the radio show that I do, a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. Really appreciate it. Um, the holidays are this weekend. So, you know, happy holidays. I hope uh, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying warm. I hope everything is okay in your life. I appreciate you making time to listen to this show during such a hectic uh, part of the month. So I won't take up any more of your time. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the electric... That's right. Electric. The sweet, the kind, the smart, the talented. It's Jem Seow. What's up, Jem? It is such a pleasure to see you. Good morning. You're in Sydney. It's morning time there. It's 4.30 here. Uh, I'm glad we can figure this out. How are you feeling? I am awesome. Thank you so much, Brad, for having me. It's awesome yeah. to see you again. Um, after We've known each other for quite a few years. <laughs> Right. And man, I still cannot tell you how big of a surprise it was to realize in that moment being like, oh, fuck, we have totally to like, 
I was so frazzled when we saw. Okay, so let's give some context here. Um, we just played together at. Uh, did we play two or three festivals? I know we definitely hung at Jera on air in Europe. It might have been two festivals, but we we hung out at Jera, yeah, in Netherlands. Ex- totally, yeah. and like, you know, my relationship to Speed was I, you know, I'm I'm an active member of the hardcore community. So of course I know who your band is. (laughs) And um, when you guys played sound and fury that first time I arrived to the festival grounds as your set started. And I, and I watched from afar and I was like, Oh yeah, this band's quite good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, but like, you know, we never, we hadn't communicated since you've been in this band or anything like that. So we're playing Jarrah on air. We, I, you know, we watch you guys and then we chat for a minute after and that was when I realized, like, oh, my God, we have we toured together in Australia together with your band before this. And it did not click until that moment. And I felt so silly. No, not at all. Because honestly, because obviously COVID has just warped everyone's perception of time. And totally things be- pre-COVID, especially in the few years before that, are, are really like a blur in my mind. Um, and And I actually was trying to remember which tour it was, too, because we had done multiple tours with... Um, the kind of venues that we did on that tour, I there were multiple tours around that time in Australia right. um, that were like going through the same venues. And anyways, yeah, they kind of blurred into one, but we we have definitely toured in Australia before. <laughs> <laughs> and if I, if I could be completely transparent is, you know, Australia tours, Australia tours, always very short, right? Yes. And yes. that was our first time ever spending any time with turnover so because mm-hmm. that's what it was with so we had just met turnover as well really yes 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 and uh you guys endless heights were the were the local support on that tour which we yes. were so stoked to have but like i think i was so like already jet lagged and being around those guys for the first time and then also being around you guys for the first time that i feel like i wasn't as outgoing as i normally am where like i didn't really get a chance to like get to know you guys all that well so I think that also plays a role with like my own, like, oh, I didn't, I don't, I feel like I didn't like fully like bro down with you guys the way I normally do with bands because the tour was so short, you know no, what I'm saying? I'm, I totally, I totally get it. Also at that time, like the tour that we did, so it was Touche, Turnover and Endless Heights. It was like, that was a, it was a big tour at that time in, in, in Australia and we were playing quite big venues and it was kind of like not really small DIY venues where you are all in the same room together. You know what I mean? These are rooms that had like back rooms and like, anyways, we definitely saw each other. Also, I had long hair back then and like, I don't know, look different. (laughs) And that was the funniest part is uh, we were with Elliot, the drummer of my band, and he just looks at you and goes, You had long hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It was all this. Yeah, it was really great. And then, you know, later, then as that day went on, we ended up eating lunch together and just, you know, really catching up. And it was, uh, it was such a, I, th- I feel like hanging out with you guys was definitely the highlight of that festival for me. So thank you, thanks, man. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. It's been it's a crazy thing because you you kind of involved in in hardcore for a long time. You meet so many different people in different ways, and um, and I don't know when you have moments like this when we catch up in the other side of the world unexpectedly, it kind of puts everything in perspective. Like fuck, it's been doing this thing a while. <laughs> yeah no no doubt no doubt um so let me ask you this when are you from sydney originally like are you Mm -hmm. are you born and raised in sydney yep yep okay cool because i don't know because sometimes when i think about australia i don't know if 
if like Sydney and Melbourne are like similar to like New York and LA, that's how I've always put them in my head where it's like people might be from a smaller suburb or town and then they end up their dream is to move to one of these places so i was curious if that's actually where you were born and raised yep no i was born and raised in sydney my whole life um but that's a really good way to put it sydney and melbourne are something like the difference between new york and la not geographically of course uh, yeah something like that if there was a way to compare it but obviously still like vastly different (laughs) yeah uh, yeah, like in the sense of, oh, that's where all the shows happen. That's where the most people are. That's probably, yeah. Like that's right, that yeah. Kind of thing. You want to get to the bigger city, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, but luckily, we're, oh, yeah, very fortunately, I've lived in Sydney pretty much my whole life. Amazing, amazing. Um, well, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played by parents or whoever you were raised with, but something that you found that gave you your own sense of identity? I think it, there was, there were a, a few bands that were kind of stepping stones towards me finding the very first thing that I claimed myself. But if I really go to the, the actual like, like patient zero in my mind, it was, um, it was probably Avril Lavigne. Uh, I love that answer. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to be answering too many questions at once, but like the the first record I ever bought, the first CD I ever had was the single uh, by Wheatus, um, Teenage Dirtbag. And okay. I, re- I remember like I, it was, that was the first guitar music that I'd heard that I was like, I, for some reason I became obsessed with. And I was maybe six years old or se- maybe seven, seven years old, eight years old at the time. And I bought this single and, um, and it was literally just a single in a jewel case CD, but it had two other songs on it. It was maybe like a B some kind of B side, and it also had like a live recording of of the song or some or like a remix. So it was literally just two or three different versions of Teenage Dirtbag on this one single that I just rinsed, and I just remember jumping up and down on my bed, like just going crazy to it with with my younger brother Aaron, who plays uh, bass in Speed. Him and I were like, you know, we're two years apart. I remember I have an image of, of me jumping up and down on my parents' bed listening to this this single on repeat. Um, but then from there, uh, I got into Avril Lavigne, which I guess makes sense because like it was on the radio, and this wasn't something that my parents played me. But I just like I just remember like hearing Skater Boy and Complicated, and I guess that that was like my first time hearing guitar music that that and feeling the energy from guitar music in a way, but also kind of like emo music, like complicated was that that single was like it's an emo song <laughs> and uh, it, yeah I, I didn't realize it at the time but i've been thinking about this for actually like in the last month like i think i went to karaoke in tokyo the other day and we were singing this song and i was like fuck why is this song so good bro like this song is like it really i feel it in my in my chest when i sing it <laughs> and it's an emo song <laughs> and the funniest thing is like that i i would put complicated in the top 10 high echelon of if I hear one line of it, it's going to be stuck in my head for the next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is. I'd be curious to have someone break down like all the elements of the songwriting or the, or like what is the specific earworm that gets you just trapped inside that song? Like it, 
it will stick in your head for so goddamn long. I, and it happens every time because of this conversation. I'm blaming you because I'm sure that song is going to be stuck in my head for the next month. It's like the it's the it's the obviously the lull kind of vibe of, but it's also the country esque kind of like pop, uh, mm. like style that it has. But then also it's the syncopated that that syncopated chorus, mm. which is just it's a it's like a formula for like you know just like pop catchiness yeah. in your in your brain <laughs> well the vocal i mean the vocal cadence of the chorus absolutely but also the verse of the da 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 da, da yes da, da, like it's yes yeah it's inescapable it's inescapable so it came into my mind because we were singing this at karaoke and i was like why is this so good but that was in terms of guitar music that's my first ever thing but those are my first two and then it brought me to the thing that i really claim which would be system of a down System of a okay. Down was literally the guitar band that was like the 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 real very first gateway band I would say into like quote unquote heavy music, um, and uh, I remember that uh, I, I had a family friend and uh, he was really into he was really getting into metal and he was an insane guitar player. I remember his um a guitar factory burnt down like near his house and him and his dad went there and they had all these guitars that were like Ibanez and ESP. And he's, he, he bought um, like literally 20 or 30 guitars and brought them home. And they were like James Hetfield, like signatures and all these crazy guitars. And they all smelt like fire as well. Cause they were like from this burnt down factory. But, uh, he was like, he was like my, I guess my metal mentor. And he made me a compilation CD. He burnt it to a, uh, to a disc back in those days when, you burn CDs and it was called Mo Metal Than Your Mama's Kettle. And uh, it was <laughs> it was just a compilation of like Hatebreed, Chimera and like Killswitch and all these other bands. But it had yeah. a, it had like five System of Down songs on it. And I I did work my way through that CD. Um, but the one that stuck out was, was System of a Down first. And I would have been like 11. Um, right. Maybe 11 or uh, yeah, 11 or 12. And and that was yeah that that really changed everything for me system of a down that's amazing i have such enormous respect for for that band for a lot of reasons they're actually from uh where i currently live in the burbank glendale area um which is where i'm from um like i saw them as a local band that's how to also date how old i am wow uh, which is crazy. So like when they were coming up, I remember this whole area was so excited because they're an Armenian band and Glendale where I live is like a major, major, major place for people from Armenia. And uh, so it was just like, it felt like this like local excitement for this band that was like getting more popular. Wow. And which is, yeah, it's, it's unreal. It's funny. Like I, I've seen their guitar player, Darren, like, at the grocery store down the wow. street from me now and again it's just like they are they all still like live here for them from what i know um but what i love about them was i mean they're the only band that ever got fucking i mean they got like blast beats on the radio yeah you know what i'm saying yeah like they they like trojan horsed in some like very aggressive elements to these songs that ended up on modern rock on modern rock radio it's yes. so cool Yes. And obviously they're very political, which is incredible as well, that they like they were getting their message out a, a, across the masses with everything they stood for and, and whatever else. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really cool shout. I was actually that made, that made me want to ask you about rock radio in Australia. Um, mm. 
are there radio stations that play more aggressive stuff uh, that you you'd be able to hear something like System of a Down casually? At that age, I'm I'm not so aware. Um, right now, and for the last uh, few decades, like like yes, because uh, we have Triple J here, which is an independent radio station, government radio station. And they have like a, it's maybe uh, similar to like BBC One, like the the rock show and stuff. They have like a dedicated night to heavy music, um, and you commonly hear like a because like Parkway Drive made heavy music in Australia so big. You know, it's it's commonplace that they'll have on that station some like metalcore bands or like heavier bands on on kind of rotation. You you hear a song thrown in the mix during the day, um, to. Right. What's the gentleman's name who's the host of the Triple J Rock show? Josh Mariel. Yeah, that dude's Josh a legend. Josh Mariel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout yeah, out. he he was always really nice. He's he's been a a kind supporter of Touche. So that leads me to wonder, you guys have been I'm sure you guys have been played on that. Uh Speed? Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah, you. I mean, I was going to say it's like you guys I I have to imagine you guys are are uh, are getting a lot of that like definitely like Australian airplay love in the sense of like having a show like that that's got to be a, a mind-blowing feeling it was more mind-blowing that they put a song on like on the rotation like on daytime rotation like they we this song that we recorded uh for the flat for the extermination comp last year of one blood we bleed they they put it on just daytime radio like on rotation for like three months so that was like the mind like wasn't even just oh in the show God. they like literally had a straight up hardcore song, like just a hardcore song on like daytime radio. Yeah. For a couple months. And that's the mind blowing thing because I feel like to be honest, like we've tried everything to not be played on the radio almost like we've, we, we've been trying purposely to keep the music, you know, obviously we're, we're just writing hardcore music, but uh, sure. I just never like, for example, with endless heights, you know, endless heights years ago, we had like poppy choruses and it was, you know, Joel's a great singer who's singer in that band and, you know, very great voice and all that. So that kind of made sense that it was maybe played on the radio sometimes, but for something like Speed, like, yeah, that was, <laughs> that's the fucking, yeah. you know, like, why? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes when you go so far in one way, you don't realize that it actually swings back around and it actually does, you know, connect with more people than you, maybe you think, you know? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But uh, um, I think people are tuning into hardcore a lot more nowadays here in Australia. That's also true, yeah. Um, and that was actually one of the... Uh, a conversation that I really enjoyed when we hung out at Jera was picking your brain about what's been going on in Australia in terms of just like the resurgence of hardcore mm. and how much certain cities have really grown in their scenes and things like that. That was mm. something that I really took away from that conversation that made me extra excited for when eventually we, we come back just so I want to sort of experience the difference in what's happened there. Cause I remember asking you about like Adelaide. <laughs> I was like, How's Adelaide doing? Our our show's getting a little better there, and you were like, "Dude, Adelaide's killing it." It's, I I love that you know. I love that you know because um, yeah, it's it's going really well. It's it's it is the best time to be a hardcore kid in Australia right now. I I, w- I would say in in my seventeen years of involvement or whatever, like uh, right now it's my favorite. Obviously, I'm a at a different age and a completely different time, but I do feel that um, shit's popping <laughs> everywhere. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what was your first concert? Avril Lavigne. Wow. Yeah, it, uh, it was Avril Lavigne, and it was at the at the Entertainment City Entertainment Center, which is now called the Kudos Bank. Oh no, not Kudos Bank. I can't remember what it's called now. It's changed names, but it's a big venue in next to Chinatown. And uh, I went on. My cousin took me 
she's maybe 10 or 15 years older than me, but she took me um, and Aaron to go watch. And we were literally at the very, very back row, like the furthest possible you could be from the stage. And uh, it was a school night. And I remember Aaron was literally in kindergarten. And I think I was in, um, I must've been in second grade. And Aaron felt, Aaron slept the entire concert on the seat. It was one of those seats that like you, you know, the, 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 the ass, like the ass, where you put your ass on it, it like it it, yeah. it, 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 holds it, yeah. it holds up when you don't sit on it <laughs> anyway so i'm standing on the on the lid just like jumping up and down and he uh he slept the entire concert <laughs> he aaron is like the worst snorer i know like he's been he's he's just he's yeah he can sleep through literally anything since like he was born and anyways that's yeah. just such a typical aaron moment that our first ever concert he just slept through that's incredible yeah oh, and she, awesome. avril lavigne was a literal ant like like you know hundreds of meters away <laughs> right hopefully they had the screens where you could at least get the uh, better view of what was going on on stage yes yes we did do you remember who uh who opened that show do i you have any recollection i don't i don't i mean even just going out on on a, being taken out you know by my older cousin who was she's so cool shout out Roseanne. Love her so much. She was like my old one of my older cool cousins, and even just going out on you know for a night without my parents or something like that was all was just like that was just sick to us too. So that whole night was yeah. just a, a cool thing, you know. But uh, I don't remember who opened. As I, I was like literally, I mean, I was like eight years old. <laughs> do you, Do you know if you ended up getting like a shirt? Like, did you get like a shirt from the parking lot? Or, I, like, honestly, this is like so. Like, I guess. It, it like uh like i can say this but like we have like a stingy asian mentality where like my parents brought me up to be like very thrifty like with money and everything like you know what i mean and yeah. uh and i remember walking walking past the merch stand which was massive and seeing these avril of interest i was like sick but it was 40 dollars i remember yeah. seeing and i remember even at eight years old i was like fuck that's a fucking ripoff bro like, <laughs> but I mean, 40 bucks for a t-shirt back then you know yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like heaps so I mean, I, I feel like the punk rock kid in me still to this day when I see 40 bucks for a shirt, I'm always raising my eyebrow because I feel like once you're, especially once you're in a, like you're in a band and you know, like how much shirt costs to make. Yes, 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 yes. Like, like, really? No, 40? Well, I mean, we, we, uh, Speed do 30 in Australia and, uh, yeah. and uh, so he's not quite there yet, but it's, and nowadays it's like kind of creeping up, obviously. It's also like, what, 25 years later? <laughs> yes, exactly. <So. laughs> exactly but uh that's my only memory of the merch <laughs> it was looking walking past the eight year old being like nah that's that <laughs> no that's way too much that's way too much that's my entire say, year's pocket money i was gonna say it would be incredible if you still had that shirt laying around because it'd also probably be a shirt that'd be like some like hella expensive vintage avril lavigne tour shirt from you know yes no unfortunately not nah um so you played guitar in Endless Heights. I was curious, was guitar your first instrument? It wasn't. The what was your first instrument? Uh, the first instrument was um, the flute. The flute? Mm, yeah. yeah. How, if I was to pass a flute through the computer to you right now, would you be able to play the flute still? Yeah, it's, um, it's actually my, it's like my, uh, it's my career. It's my other career. Um, I'm I'm like a flute classical flute teacher. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, it's like uh, I've t- 
I, I, people in that world uh, don't know about hardcore, and then people in hardcore don't know about the other world that I exist yeah. that I sometimes exist in. Um, but uh, I've been a flute teacher for fourteen years, and up, uh, which is uh, which I love. But uh, up, up until probably like June this year, um, June this year, I've pretty I I stopped teaching. Um, but yeah, because obviously touring with speed has just been getting really hectic. Um, but yeah, that's uh, I could definitely play it if you gave me a flute right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly, I would certainly hope so. Um, I mean, God, I have so many questions. I mean, the first thing that popped in my head is because that's obviously an instrument that you need to have some good lungs for. I'm imagining for like doing a lot of stuff. How how has that do you think helped you as a front person? Um, I don't think that it phys. The only thing that I would draw in terms of physical translation would be uh, diaphragm control and bracing. Um, yeah, and, that's what I'm. Yeah, 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 and that was the first like going to when I went to university and was like studying it there and whatever. That was like trying to learn about that. But I would say that equally, like after I finished studying, was when I started going to the gym as well and started getting to like powerlifting and strength training, and I learn about like diaphragm control through that which it kind of started to actually fully make sense through strength training into flute playing in flute playing it was very difficult for me to grasp like using your core to play like a wind instrument like it was uh, it's such a like a light you know petite kind of sound you know like the flute yeah. uh then i figured it out properly with powerlifting and then with doing vocals and speed i have no idea what the fuck i'm doing uh, but I was like, I know you got to use your diaphragm, so I'm just going to brace the same way. And uh, that would be the only translation I would say physically. Because with the flute as well, uh, you do need big, a lot, obviously, so much breath control. But because the amount of air that you're using, uh, the volume of air is so small it's uh, and so concentrated, it's different to, it's completely different to like whatever I'm doing at speed. <laughs> yeah, yelling your brains out. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm wondering if, if, um, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, I'm wondering if that concentration of both of those things translate to what you're doing, because I imagine you have to have a lot of concentration for playing the flute in the sense of the breath control. And as you mentioned, like it's a petite, you know, like a, this small sound that's coming out of it. Um, and then also barking and not blowing your voice out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you have to be conscious on both sides of that. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I, I don't know if there's really a question there, but it's just something that I just find so fascinating. Like those feel like such completely different ends of the spectrum. Well, when I um, went to, when I went yeah. to university, they, um, I, I studied classical flute at like the conservatorium here, which, uh, which was a completely different world to anything I ever, anything that I exist in. Like it was so a, a very different and strange part of my chapter in my life, uh, <laughs> for a couple yeah. for a few years, but, um, we did like or we did or, like a oral training and like uh, like some basic vocal training there. Like just everyone does basic keyboard training as well. And um, some of the vocal, very basic vocal technique that I learned from there, I guess I like kind of harness like as well. I kind of tap back into. But really, if I think about it, that those years that I spent like uh, studying in university, I think were really set me up with a lot of just a lot of tools and discipline actually and um that was just have you ever seen whiplash the movie whiplash yeah. 
Yeah. It was a, my experience in, in, in at university was very similar to that. When I watched that film, I was like, holy shit, like this is yes, this is it. Because in classical music as well, I don't really have any friends. And like, I don't like when I went, when I, I pretty much did that because when I finished school, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I didn't I had no idea. I just liked playing music. I just love playing music. And, and and this was just an avenue that like kind of opened up to me. And my teachers at the time were like, you should just try out for the school. And I was like, sure. And I had no ambition to ever play the flute or be a full-time like flute player, <laughs> flautist. I just, and I got, I just got into the school and I was like, fuck it. I'll just do it. I don't know what else I'm going to do. So I'll just go and just meet some, meet some people and fucking hang out and whatever. And I really figured out quickly that it was just not for me. Like I fucking, I, I fucking burnt myself doing that. And, uh, it was like playing the flute for like four or five hours a day. And, um, and it, the pressure was insane. And I, I've spoken about this like briefly, you know, before on some other podcasts, but not here before. And, and like here, like I, it, it was, it was such a big learning moment in my life. And, 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 and it was a, is a moment that really took me a while to figure out, but gave me so much more clarity about why, what I love and what I'm actually passionate about in music, because I was there wrecking myself, practicing, insanely with so much pressure uh like i'm talking like literally doing actual pinky exercises for hours a day like on each individual finger like and we were endless heights was was touring then too and i go on tour and i'd literally be in a van we'd be doing a 10-hour drive and i'd be sitting in the van with like the flute not playing it but just doing finger exercises like in the van and stuff like it was and then I go and I play a recital to literally like 10 people and I'd make like, I'd like, I'd make a mistake on like one or two notes and I'd feel like an actual failure and like, like literal tears, like literal actual real tears over just like one on two notes, you know, fucking up. And I had actual like performance anxiety and it was just like weird. I was just like, why am I so anxious about performing something that should be, you know, the, the highest craft in, that I have right now? Right. Um, but then I would go and I'd play these hardcore shows with endless heights or whatever to like 150, 200 people. And, you know, the guys in the band would, wouldn't even know what, a, what, a ti- what a, the definition of time signature, you know, and like, they wouldn't right. even know, like, you know, what like, they'd be like, Oh, what are we, what tuning are we in? What are the notes of the tuning again? And, you know, and, uh, and you have no concept, you know, in this, in this space of technicality or real, I guess, just like music theory or anything, but it'd just be, the most raw real experience of of passion i guess and um and have such an impact on you know th- on myself and the people in that room for those 20 minutes or whatever you're playing and i'd be like why the fuck is this so life-giving and then i go to this other thing that i'm just wrecking myself over and i've just i'm scrutinizing every single little detail and not and just kind of not feeling anything else from that you know and uh anyways I really yeah. figured out, I really figured out, like, because you know, people in classical music, they have no idea. They had no idea why the fuck I was playing in a hardcore band. Uh, they couldn't understand. It was like the most primitive, stupid music ever. And then they had no, and then the people in hardcore also were like, whoa, like you play classical music. Like, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> and uh, anyways, yeah, I figured, I really clearly figured out that it, it's, 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 it's to, to do with the human connection. It's to do with the passion. It's to do with the energy. It's to do with, so much more the culture that's so much more intertwined with mute quote-unquote music than the actual music itself that's in like classical music i guess or whatever you know it's it's not about the technicality to me it's like it's about it's about the source you know like in hardcore i appreciate you sharing all of that that was that's that's really something i i I wanted to ask what with you killing yourself and like going so hard and like 
being so hard on yourself and all of that. Can I ask what the end goal was for it? Like, were you trying to get into an orchestra? Were you trying to, because you ended up teaching, as you mentioned, um, what was like, what was the thing you were working towards with that? Honestly, it's, it's a really good question. And uh, so what happened was <laughs> I actually got I, I auditioned for this school and uh, all of my teachers were telling me you should, you should do it. And I was like, sure, I'll just do this thing. And I auditioned and then I, there were two degrees. It's a flute performance, a bachelor of flute performance or a bachelor of music studies. And maybe the difference is like, like uh, studies is the general course. It's almost like just doing a broad arts course. That's kind of easier to get in. Performance is like the really specialized one. And they only take like maybe four flute players in a, whole, a year, like in the whole country of every, or everyone who auditioned, they'll just accept four people. And I got accepted for that, but then I got it revoked. And they were, they were like, oh, we made a mistake. Uh, and you're, you're actually, we actually meant to put you in the general course. And I think that because they told me I didn't realize it at the time, but then when they when I found that I was like, nah, I have to be in this course. Like that, like I I I have to be in the best one. And I think it was like, I think honestly, like subconsciously, because they told me I wasn't good enough, I just wouldn't I, I couldn't accept it. And I had right. to prove and I, I essentially had to go on this I, I had to re-audition a year later. In in, in I, I so I went to university and I got accepted, but I was doing the lower course and I was like to get into the higher one, the performance one, I had to re-audition. And anyways, I did and they re-accepted me. But I still felt like when I was at the school, I just wasn't good enough. Like I felt this whole time that compared... When I was at school, like I went to an all-boys school, like in high school, and I was like one of four four dudes in the entire school that played flute. Like no one else wants to play flute. Like 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 <laughs> it's not an extreme, quote-unquote, masculine instrument. And... uh I was one of four and I obviously had the spotlight and I was like, oh yeah, I'm really good at this. Like, you know, compared to everybody else, like <laughs> I'm really good at this. It's easy for me to stand yeah. out. When I went to actual flute school, I was like, holy fuck, I suck. <laughs> like everyone there was like, their parents played in orchestras. Like they're, they're playing like their parents' golden flutes and like, it was like weird. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they right. they can, it's the people that listen to like a, a, like some symphony that's playing out of the radio or whatever. And they'd be like, not only like, oh yeah, that's the Dvorak symphony number three, but they're also like, that's this, this is like the orchestra from this town that's playing it. They can pick the actual orchestra. I'm like, bro, I don't even know. Like I, I couldn't even name like three Mozart symphonies. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't even, my parents don't know anything about music. Like I'm from a completely yeah, non-musical like, background. Like I'm just I mean, doing let this. Me tell you about, let me tell you about complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I literally was just playing flute because it was just an instrument I was I, I got given when I was in primary school, like as part of a music program. Everyone got to play an instrument. So I just got given it and I just never stopped. Like I I wanted to ask you if it if it if it was something that your parents were like pushing you towards or if it was the one that just ended up in your lap. Not at all. And I always think, yeah. why did I never stop this? And honestly, I was like going through high school and i every time I would it would come into my mind to quit, I'd be like fuck mom and dad have spent like x amount of dollars on all these years like i've been adding up like if one lesson is like 40 dollars a lesson and i've had this many lessons this and over this many years fuck they spent several thousand dollars like if i stop now like it'd be all going to waste that, that was literally in my mind <laughs> no i understand and i think that a lot of people who are listening can probably relate to this whether they're you know whether it's like playing an instrument or not but i mean like there's a guilt that's associated when you've done something for so long. I mean, give, it could be a band that you joined when you were in high school that like 
you're still together, you know, 10 years later, but like the band hasn't grown and maybe you're not getting along anymore, but you continue doing it because you've been doing it for so long. Or it can mm. even be in a relationship you're with. Maybe you're the two of you have just drifted apart, but you're still together because you don't want to consider it wasted time. Like, yes, yep. There's all of these different things that I think are very relatable to what you're talking about. And I applaud you for having that realization where you're like, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not like, I don't even enjoy, like, do I even enjoy this? Like, it's just, it's not giving you any sort of happiness, you know, it's like, it's stressing you out. You're, but then you go and you play shows with your band, with your friends where you're, there's like zero pressure and you're just having fun. And it's like so much, it gives you so much more. Yes, exactly. 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 And that's what I mean when, when I said that, that experience that chapter really taught me so much about discipline and these other things, because I really think at the crux of it, like, why did I, why did I stick it out? Why did I, why did I do that to myself? And why did I pursue it? Like, cause also so many people that go to that, you know, they just quit and as well. And they figure out that they just fucking, that it's, it's kind of like almost being a sportsman and training, becoming the Olympics. Like it's so competitive and. uh Right. And it's also tough because there's elements of it that you might feel like, is your identity too. So like, you know, leaving something behind or like moving on from it or maybe losing your passion for it. It's tough because it makes you sort of have to self-realize like who you are and all of these sorts of things. But I'd also, you know, like, you know, and I'm not trying to fucking armchair psychologist or anything like that with you, but like, I have to imagine that there's so many elements to all of your your learning and the discipline and the concentration and all of these different things that you took that you gained from doing that and like a lot of um realizing your only you know like what you're capable of your own boundaries and all these different things that like you know whether however you look at it now i guarantee that there's still so much that you took from it you know what i'm saying that one you're million probably, percent one million applying, percent yeah that you're applying like even if it's funny to think about like things that you learn from flute that you're applying to speed without even realizing it. No, of course. Absolutely. It's not like it doesn't, it's not about the vehicles. It's just about the journey. Like it's like, it's totally like it could, this, I'm not, I'm I'm not extremely passionate about classical music and it's not my thing really. I, I luckily as an end note for that, like it, I found, I use that as a gateway to learning about teaching. And I found my uh, more of a passion for just really working with children, being able to do that. Like flute became just my vehicle just to be a teacher and just to work with kids. And it was fucking awesome. And it was re- that was like my vocation, if anything, you know. And I um, imagine that you're like going into that being like, oh, I'm going to be the incomplete polar opposite to the kind of teachers that I had that made me feel bad. Like I, I'm going to just be motivating. And I, yes, yeah, I, I learned so much through so much, through so much of that, you know, and, and, and the, I, I think, you know, when you're a coach or when you're a mentor, you know, like so much of that experience is empathy, you know, and compassion and, and being able to understand uh, the, what your, I guess your, 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 um, your student or whatever is going through. And um, you can only really, understand that through shared lift experience and so i'm so glad for all of the experience that i had with this but yeah i, I mean the discipline that i learned through that and, and and even just coming to the realization that like i was chasing this and i was doing that because someone told me i couldn't and i had to prove them wrong in my mind i had to have that i could not fit sign off with that experience without being like nah i'm fucking good enough like i can fucking be in this and i tick that enough in my mind and anyways like that's everything in life like that's brought me to where i am today is it has all, all all have been stepping stones and 
it doesn't matter if it was in a sport or if it was in a, in in flute or if it was like it was i don't know going on a on, on a random holiday somewhere or whatever like there's so many things that have taught me there's there's a, there's a lesson in everything <laughs> as, as generic yeah. as that sounds you know I, i'm curious if you are able to when you were in the thick of it like like have moments of realizing that you were good you know what i'm saying like like or was that hard for you to even accept because you mentioned you know like you're going to a school where you're surrounded by people who you feel are like better players you have teachers that are maybe being hard on you you obviously had the situation where you were accepted than unaccepted like did you struggle with feeling like you were good enough like was that something that and and have you do you feel like you've overcome that now that's such a really interesting question man i never thought about it this way until really right now because i actually feel like i never felt like i was i never actually felt like i was good enough even today, if I think about it, uh, if people ask me, like, the only time I feel like I'm good at playing the flute really is when I'm playing it to my friends who don't know anything about flute playing. <laughs> right. You're like, yo, check me out. And it's like, when, and, and, and that, that's another thing as well. When I was exposed to, with the, when I was exposed to that kind of environment, I, I, I was around other people who, I mean, some of these, like, it wasn't just flute players, you know, I'm, I'm in a classical music school, so it's like violinists and oboe players and fucking right, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. whatever. And as I said, these people fucking live and breathe this shit. And like, uh, being at, exposed to people who are that obsessed with music at that level was inspiring in many ways. Cause it, like, I really realized, I was like, I I'd said to myself, I just don't have the passion for this. I right. don't, there's so much I can do to kill, like to, to burn myself. And there's so many hours in the day that I can, like, you know, only so many hours a day can I can use up to spend practicing this, but it's, it, it really comes down to passion and, 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 and how badly you want something. And I had to be real with myself. I was like, I literally just am not as passionate about this as everyone else. Like, I don't, I'm not an encyclopedia for classical music. I don't know, like all these things, like, I don't. I feel this about hardcore. I feel this about in other right. areas of my life, but I really don't feel this about this. And you need to be the very, very best at something. You, you, it, it, you can't just, it doesn't just come down to sheer, sheer, like, I guess, uh, physical time, like spent doing something like, yeah, like hours to, on a day. Yes. It's like actually, it's like the love for it. Yes. It, there, there needs to be, you also like the, the most, the most successful people, in, in in crafts are also like i'm talking like really successful people in their crafts are also a little bit crazy you have to be mm -hmm. a bit crazy about something like to 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 go to be extraordinary at it you know what i mean and i just i don't feel that way about this and i had to be real with myself because i guess at that time at that age you're like i'm studying this and and being 18 years old you don't you're like this is my quote-unquote going to be my life and this is going to be my career or whatever like it becomes your identity. It's like, I have to be good at this. And if this is my whole life and I'm not good enough, like, fuck, like, what is it? What is, what is my self image? Like, what is like my, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's so many things that yeah. I guess play into that. So, um, I guess it, and that's what I mean when I say I really figured out so much. Cause I was like, what do I actually, what do I actually love about music? Like what, what am I actually passionate about? Where is the, where is that passion? What, where do I feel that about? Like, if I don't feel about it with this, where do I actually feel that in my, in my life? And, um, yeah, it was. Uh, that's why I'm. That's why I'm here today. <laughs> 
Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math, that's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. When did you actually start playing guitar? Uh, when I was 12. Okay. Uh, so that, so that, that homie that had, that gave me my metal, then your mama's kettle. Like yeah. he became like a guitar mentor for me for like a couple months. I sure hope so with like 30 guitars. <laughs> yeah. And I loved going over there because it was a little museum. I could kind of like pick one and just like start riffing on one too when I was over at his house. So. so did he, was he the one who was teaching you how to play stuff? Like showed you chords and all of that? Yeah. He like showed me how to read tabs and then like we would like jam together and his name's Kian. Uh, shout out Kian if you ever hear any of this. I haven't seen him in years, but yeah, he, um, he really put me on and like, he was a few years older than me and he had long hair you know what I'm saying? And like, he, he would be, but he was really into metal and everything. He was, and he was a prodigy. He was like a guitar virtuoso as a kid. And so I. So I granted they're, they're very different instruments, but were there things that you were able to understand about playing guitar from playing flute? I think it's just like a general musicality. I think yeah. that like, I was talking about this with um, like Kane who plays drums in like speed. And like we were in the studio like a couple of days ago and just talking about musicality. And I was like, bro, like, like for someone like, if, if if you're just musical in general, you know, like, uh, I think that fills in like, like 75 or 80% of the gaps already. The rest of it in terms of theory and just understanding, that's just like really just communicative tools and ways that you can just, I guess, um, process things in your mind when you're creating. Um, but uh, like in terms of the language, but, uh, I think it's just general musicality and flute just brought that out. So totally, totally. Do you remember the first song you learned how to play on guitar? That you were like, oh shit, I'm doing it. My this, this podcast was not geared towards my brain because my memory fucking sucks. <laughs> it's the worst memory. <laughs> but the first memory I do have is I think it was I think it was American Idiot by Green mm. Day. I think that was the first one. Easy power chords, you know. So yeah, are you familiar with a band called Dillinger Four? Punk no. band. Totally I, I know okay. the name, but no, I don't. No, I'm not. Yeah. So it's, it, I'll, I'll send it to you. It'll blow your mind. There's a Green Day basically just straight up stole that song. Like, oh, like, true. Like note, like note for note. Like it's actually fucked up. Where wow. you're like, oh my God. And, and, you know, I love Green Day as much as the next person. So, like, whatever. But, yeah. but, uh, I'm pretty positive Green Day paid them for it. Like, when yeah, I was wow. where, yeah, it's, a, it's a song called, uh, Double Whiskey Coke No Ice. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's fucking nuts. Where you're just like, oh my god! Like, it's not even just a slight comparison. It's like you hear it, and you're like, oh, that is the same song. Nice. I love those yeah. moments. Nice. Yeah, just finding a little Easter egg here and there, but yeah, cool. Yeah, send, it's, it, send it, it, please. <laughs> yeah, I will. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's quite wild. Um, so when did you start your first band? It depends what you define by a band. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because when pretty. Yeah, the fir- the first time you got in a room with friends and you made something that sounded like a song or covered a- something that sounded like a song. It, it would have been literally like three months after I started playing guitar. Like f- as mm. soon as I started playing guitar, I wanted to play in a band. 
like straight yeah. away. And uh, so it was, would have been when I was 12. And uh, um, one of my best friends from here in Australia, his name's Ed. He sings in an, an amazing band over here called Controlled. And you should check them out, bro. You, 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 I think you, I think you fuck with them. But they're called Controlled from Sydney, and he was one of my, he was one of my first ever friends in high school. And I remember he was like, there was some, there was a day at this at the school we went to that had a battle of the bands, and he was like, on this day, it's gonna be crazy, bro. It's like, like I was stage diving last year, and people were carrying me around, and like we were rocking out, and I just had this image of like going to the school hall and it being like an actual like punk rock show, and I was like, whoa, this sounds insane. And so that date was coming around around the corner, and I, uh, he played drums, so him, him, and he was also my neighbor, Ed. So we started jamming together, and then I remember in the in the school corridor, Joel, who sang at Endless Heights, who's also one of my best friends today. My mom was like, "Oh, there's this redhead kid at school who I I spoke to his mom, and he he sings opera. You should talk to him." <laughs> and I was like, "All right," and I see this redhead kid like running through the hallway i was like oh joel do you want to do a metal band he was like all right cool and then ran to class anyway so we started a band and then we covered and we covered system of a down (laughs) what song it was we did aerials we did sugar we did sweet pea nice and maybe toxicity. I think we did four System of a Down covers at this Battle of the Bands. Oh my god! And it was That's insane awesome. because um, we put makeup on. We put like I guess what I thought was corpse paint. Like I guess <laughs> I, I I like it was I didn't know anything about black metal, but I was like, yeah. yo, we got to do this. And I remember like the kid, the other kid that we got to play guitar. He was so not into metal. He was just this random kid that could play some country chords or something, you know. Classic. And I was like. Classic bro, high school band or school I was like, band. Yeah, I was yeah. like, bro, you're in this. You're in this. And he was yeah. like, he was just, he was really, he, 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 was, he was a really, really nice guy, but he was also just super into horse riding. So just to like paint a picture that he was just like this guy was into country music and horse riding. And I was like, you're playing in this metal band. <laughs> and before we played, we ran upstairs and I was like, we're all putting on makeup. And he was like, bro, I don't know about this. And I was like, bro, you're doing it. And we all did like goth face paint, like just like yeah. black tears and stuff like that. And we went, and then I think like some of the year 12s, so like the oldest kids at the school, they figured, they found out that they're these like, you know, uh, what do you, what do you call it? What's the word for, is it sophomore, your first year at school, your first year in high school or junior? Uh, well, for here, that'd be second, uh, second, it goes freshman, sophomore, junior. Freshman. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in my freshman then in high school. I'm yeah. Like, these, I, these like, year, you know, year 12, like big men in my eyes are like, yeah, guys are like, oh yeah, there's these freshmen who are like you know fucking yeah. playing in a metal band and they rounded up the entire like all their mates and we i go down and i walk out on stage and there's all these like i don't know they probably were like 30 30 guys then but they were like i don't they seemed like full men to me <laughs> they were going oh, yeah man. giving me horns and that and we walk out and i'm fully rocking out and we're like going crazy yeah and uh that was a full life-changing moment was that battle of the bands because i was like holy fuck like we had a mosh pit and I just played my first show and like was playing system of the down covers. And it was, did you win? I there, I don't think there was a winner. I don't think there was a winner, but uh, I remember the teacher came, they shut it down after we played. They're like, P- kids are going too crazy. Like you guys oh. are going too crazy. Cause we were also the only, every other band played, you know, your typical, like, I don't know, your typical Pop guitar. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, 
like uh we were the only ones that played like quote unquote like heavy like heavier music right um but i did every single battle of bands after that like every year and it was that just changed my life that that, you just got the bug and you were like this is what i love doing yeah 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 were were you nervous were you excited like what do you yeah of course it really felt like it was it might have been the same as as us as as speed going and playing sound tree last year like it was it was felt like that but i was just going and playing to you know a handful of kids in the in the you know that was my i guess quote unquote sound theory back then like yeah. it, was, it was nuts yeah, i love that i love that so how long did that band stay together and was that how many bands did you have between there and when you uh were with endless heights i don't even know i don't even like because it just like we had a crew of friends and like a lot of them who I'm still friends with today and play music with today, like we've gone into hardcore together. Right. And we went to shows together and we would just play in, in cover bands, like yeah, at, at school. And we, we, we had, our school was, was super sick. They encouraged us to just pick up the guitars at lunchtime and just jam. And they let us go into the jam rooms and just do that. So we'd be, Damn. you know, like full eating our, uh, eating eating our like a uh, Vegemite sandwiches <laughs> or whatever crumbs on the floor and everything and then like be jamming and just like dirty fingers and just playing like oh my God. like 50 lions covers and like parkway drive covers and everything like that like yeah and i can't remember and we would change members so i can't really remember but the formation ended up landing on um almost what was endless heights uh and the first band like actual band that wrote a song was a band called hope at hand and uh joel also sang and we had one song and i recorded it at kien's house so that guy that taught me guitar he had a recording setup that was like i don't know what you call it but it was essentially like a recording software and like mini drums built into one fat like brick it was like a it was like sure. a like a square device that was like okay. chunky and you could it's an all-in-one thing and you burn it straight to a cd after oh wow okay yeah yeah and so you had fake drums on it and everything and anyways we recorded a song and it. it was called bury the hatchet and it was essentially just like it sounded just like a metalcore song it was like yeah a, it's, it was like i killed the prom queen or something if you ever listened to that that was the bands that we were in at the time into at the time and it was like and it had like fake like fake electronic drums electronic on it. Drum, drums drums yeah. and just like i can still remember the song in my head uh, yeah it was actually kind of fire uh, it was hard. It was, it, had a, it was a heavy breakdown. And it was actually kind of good. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, for like, if I had, if I had, I just think that like, if one of my 13 year old students was like, hey, I'm into this music and I just made this song and they showed it to me, I'd be like, what? Like, whoa. Like, you know what I mean? So it was yeah. actually kind of crazy we did that. But anyways, Hope It Had, 13, Bury the Hatchet. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Best song. It's funny, yeah, because my next question is your first recording experience. So how about, like, what was the first band that ever went to an actual studio? It was, oh, it would have been Endless Arts. Yeah. Yeah. Would that have been for that? uh, Was the first, because the first thing I saw that you guys put out was a seven inch, like that uh, Dream Strong seven inch. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, we did. (laughs) Okay. Just to give, like, a preface, like, Endless Heights was literally high school friends. Yeah. And we started when we were like 14, 13 or 14. And we were, we had a different name. The very first name that we had was called Your Ghost is a Gift. And like, please don't look this up. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, <laughs> it was fucking bad. And like, uh, anyways, 
we were just friends, high school friends that would uh, were and are just like best friends that yeah that were just playing in a band together and we were just ticking off goals together and yeah. we 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 were we never changed lineups and we never you know we were just the same guys and every time we tick off another box we would just add another another box to tick off so that's just what it was and we were literally just on a on a journey together as we were growing up and figuring out music too so that's why the music just changed so much as well and uh the first thing that we the first time we went to a proper studio i've just got to shout out uh elliot from the chameleon studios like he's recorded everything ever for speed and like we're in the studio with him right now he's also went to the same school he was also like my first friend in high school too and he recorded he was the first like studio we would just go to his house and just he was the first guy that owned cubase you know out of all our friends so we would just go and just record with him and just do demos with him from the beginning and now he owns his own recording studio and we're like you know functioning adults and doing it for real now <laughs> but yeah that's that's elliot gallart is that gallart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i saw that he had recorded one of the early endless heights at least seven inches i saw like a credit for that but then i also saw that he did the demo for speed uh credit for that i was just gonna i was gonna bring that up later on just being like that's cool that people that you that's were it obviously making music with them that you're still making with music now so that's awesome that's it that's it you know we're from all from the same friendship group from a very young age and uh uh endless heights went the first studio that we went to that had real drums was um we drove so i we, we were trying to figure out w where to record at that time and i was 16 or at the time and we were trying to figure out where can we get a good drum sound because like back then it's hard to find a place that had like i guess like like compressed drums or drums that sounded like a i don't know more than just like uh like a recording like like a jam like a jam studio totally, or you yeah. know what I'm Where all you're hearing is cymbals yes yeah and uh anyways there was a band from queensland called word up uh, australians from my generation might know this and they recorded their they recorded at this place in the gold coast and i found out like the name from the back of a cd and messaged the dude on facebook on myspace and we just we just drove up and and recorded there for a week his name is sam saljugi and he sang in a band called ghost town back then and now he's in the band nerve damage uh and good still a great friend of mine to this day he was a him and his friends and that whole gold coast crew were the first people i ever met outside of sydney and uh it's just crazy because when we went up there we were just fucking children and he he also said, like, I was also didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I was like, why the fuck did you drive from Sydney to record with me? I re yeah. realized that realized that he was just like kids like us. But they just totally. happened to record his own friend's band. And this is at the age where you're still kind of figuring out the layers to hardcore and how shit works. Like, oh, yeah. you just do shit with your friends. And you just like, it's just DIY. And this guy actually isn't like a quote unquote recording engineer, maybe proper. Like, he's just a guy that recorded his friends and whatever. Like, so, yeah. Anyways, that was the first time we went to a studio um and then your is the is the first official like um well actually i wanted to ask because i saw a lot of stuff that came out for that band was on a label called broken hive is that was that like was that your own label or was that friends of yours that started a label because it looked like that was like kind of the early stuff was on the sites was like the early releases that was our friends label and so oh, that cool. was that was like uh his name's ollie he runs um a company here called make merch now which does like most of the merchandise in australia 
Like, like we're still friends, obviously, yeah, and he does speed stuff too. But um, that was Broken Hive back then, and then I guess uh, this it was maybe the equivalent of what Last Ride Records is like. It was just a a label that our friend owned that put out our friend's bands. <laughs> well, I mean, there's something so charming about like you know you're in a band with all your friends from high school, and then the first things you're printing out are also on your friend's label that they're starting to put out your own stuff, and then obviously went on to put on to put out other bands' things and and all of that, but. Um, I love that sort of community building, you know, where you're all kind of doing this stuff together. And the fact that, as you described, like you're still closer, do our friends are still work with a lot of these same people. Um, yeah. There's just something really charming about that. I'm, I, I value it more and more every day because then we were putting it out with the, with our friends because that was the only labels that we had access to. Like yeah. no one else really, yeah, there was Resist Records, which was Parkway Drive label that all the sick hardcore bands, sickest hardcore bands in the country were on too. And there was like Washed Up and Trial and Error and all these others too, but they were they were the cool labels, you know? We would just go out on our friends' labels and we were pretty much just always on our friends' labels, like always. And uh, the, How same, would... the same story is for Speed right now. <laughs> Here's a dumb question. Uh, is there, because I'm actually unfamiliar, are there a number of pressing plants in Australia, or were you having to get the get records pressed like internationally? I'm pretty sure it was all through Pirates Press back then too. Okay, sure. But now there is there is one that I am aware of called Zenith in Melbourne. Okay, yeah, cool. I mean, were you a, are you someone who cares about vinyl? Like, was it exciting to you to get that seven inch the first time? Oh, it was extremely exciting to get the seven inch. But I also am not a vinyl person at all. Sure, not at all. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't even have a record player. <laughs> all good, all good. I mean, fucking saves you. Saves you space. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I really do admire people who are in, who are into it because I, I wish that my brain was a little bit more encyclopedic and, and I, I guess it was just something I just didn't have access to, but um, it's fair. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, so what was the first tour you ever did? With the first tour that Endless Heights ever did was uh, for that record that you brought up called Dream Strong. Um, and uh, when I say it was the first tour, it was yeah, it was it was it was shows over weekends for about three or four weekends, and um, Broken Hive booked it. Ollie came with us too, and it was just us going around driving in a van around Australia, just jumping on shows. Yeah, yeah dude. I mean, the drives can be so long there. Uh, are there a lot of like you know, it, it from someone from the U.S. It's like I feel a little silly asking this, but like you know. I have to imagine it's very similar where, you know, people, when they think of Australia, they think of the main cities, right? They obviously mm. think of Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Adelaide, Perth, uh, like all the, all the ones that I think come to mind immediately, but are there a lot of smaller towns in between those places that people who are going to book a tour internationally wouldn't even know to go to that have great scenes that like you guys were aware about when you started touring? there are there are many little towns in between uh the main cities yeah but that not many of them have much of a hardcore scene um and some of them have had bigger ones during different periods or different eras um and it, it's it's always kind of changing but australia is really spread out geographically it's almost the same size as america but with like a tenth or less of the population 
Um, so yeah. these towns are really spread out and there's a lot that have like not many people that even live in them. Um, but are there, there are any, are there any like in between like the, on the way to Perth, like in the middle of the, <laughs> like, are there any scenes there at all? Not that I'm aware of. No, nah, I don't, I'm pretty certain. No, like yeah, all of the Australia, the main cities in Australia are coastal. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine if you had an America, a map of America, imagine you all the capital cities were only on the east coast and there was one on the west on coast. The west coast you yeah. only had Los Angeles, like that was it, but it was yeah, also right. like a fucking 50th of the t- of this, uh, like literally a decimal point of the size, and that's Perth, uh, yeah. and then nothing in between, you know what I'm saying? And there is, I, I, I don't want to say there's nothing, there are people that live in between, obviously, and there of are, of course, towns, yeah, but there's no capital cities or any. I've barely not many people have really ventured there. It's if, unless right. you're going to visit, um, I guess it's like Uluru or like indigenous country and stuff like that too, which is yeah, yeah, what yeah. makes up most of it. But it's mostly just desert, you know. It's just desert, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just wondering if if uh, if there's like some spot that like is like this hidden gem that nobody knows about like that the, that the, you know the, the biggest one would be byron bay where parkway driver from that would be the closest oh. thing to what you're talking about i would say because it is a tiny tiny surfer town that's like yeah. i don't know if touche, i don't think touche would have played there but i don't uh, think so now it's it's maybe two and a half hours south of brisbane um okay. and it's on almost on the border of new south wales and queensland and anyways it's literally a tiny holiday surfing town yeah, um, and bar and that's where Parkway drives from. Like it's like a tiny, yeah, it's really small. And so it's funny, I, think I only know that name because of whenever they've been talked about. It's like Parkway they drive. kind of put it on the map in a way as like a, as a musical place, probably right. It's a very popular tourist destination, and it's huge now. But like you can imagine, like yeah, it's a tiny surf town. So yeah, that would be the closest thing to what you're looking for. Totally, um, and. So I saw you guys, this is a question that I actually only recently started putting in the uh, my questionnaire for this show, uh, but I think it's kind of a fun talking point because I saw that band did a, a few music videos. What was your first music video experience like? Uh, it was... I, saw, I watched one video. I, I don't, I'm sure it's not your first, but I watched one that it looked like it was like you guys were all like, uh, uh, like watercolor painted like yeah animation style. like that one's really cool yeah I, that was that that came out sick uh yeah. that was come a little closer that wasn't the first one i i can't i feel like the first video that we ever did was this song called drain by endless heights and it was like it was essentially us just playing as silhouettes against a, a blanket <laughs> something like like uh uh and it was cool but uh I mean, yeah, that was like shout out Tom Elliott, like a good friend Tom Elliott, who plays in the band with Joel right now called Peace Ritual. But uh, he filmed that with us in like a day off, like no budget, and that was it. I think. I mean, again, like we just did it with friends. Yeah, like, it was just a homie, so it didn't feel too crazy. I guess it was just hanging out with a camera in front of you. Did you guys go to New Zealand often? Like, was that a place that you guys ever? Oh, I've never been, been to New Zealand. Really? Wow, yeah, yeah, I've never been to New Zealand, so uh, it's a dumb American thing to be like, "Well, it's right there, isn't it?" You know, but I mean, we've we've only been one time, and I and every time we always say, "Hey, when we to Australia, can we go there?" And everyone just loves to tell us how hard it is. 
It's uh, no, like, it's sick. It like like yeah. uh, I, I I wish I. It's my own fault for not just having 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 not gone before. But yeah, um, it, a lot of Australians do go. It is. It's not a weird thing to assume because it's um, right. Our, I guess our sibling country. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what was uh? So Speed obviously that's your first band that did like an inter- international tour. Endless Heights went to Europe, and and Southeast Asia. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. Uh, so How, we we which went one yeah. first. We went to Southeast Asia in 2014. Okay. How was yeah. that? Unbelievable! Like like like, unbelievable! Like it was, it was still to this day one of the most insane experiences of my entire life because we couldn't go anywhere as a band. Nowhere would like take us. We were super like uh. Europe didn't even want, we couldn't even go to Europe, like definitely not America. And again, as I said, with that band, we were just had goals that we we're trying to tick off. And after we had done an Australian tour, we were like, okay, well, we got to go overseas. We got to just experience that. So I booked this tour over um, Facebook Messenger. Uh, and I didn't realize that at the time, but like this Southeast Asian tour, I didn't realize, I don't know why I didn't realize this. I probably think because I was 20 and just a child, but yeah. like, a one week of out of there was a ten day tour and seven days of it were in uh, Sumatra, which is an island in uh, in in Indonesia that is not where like Jakarta and like the main kind of built up capital cities are. It is like yeah. extremely rural, and we spent one week in there and we played four or five shows in in Sumatra. Holy shit! And it was the most rural place I've ever been. Um, so rural that we 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 landed. The first show was in this place called Pekanbaru. And when I got there, when we got there, sorry, there were immigrate. There were the immigration. Like, firstly, the the airport was very small. It was like a very big bus terminal almost. And the immigration uh, officers, uh, who were uh, these women, were just taking photos with the other guys because they were like they were white skinned. Like, I thought it was because they knew we were in a band, but it was purely because they just hadn't really seen. I think that many. Uh, yeah. I guess like foreigners come through before. And um, when we got pulled into the van, we were driving, like we weren't driving on roads. Like they were just kind of dirt roads. And I remember looking on TripAdvisor, like, what do we do here? Like, what are the, we had a day off. Like, what do we do in Peck and Borough? And there were, I remember there were like three options. <laughs> one was a statue. And the second one was just the library. <laughs> and like, that yeah. was not, there was nothing, there was, yeah. it wasn't yeah. a tourist place, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was, and we stayed in a police officer's, on the floor of a police officer's house who caught a cobra with his, with his bare hands while we were there to take it out. He was a vegan guy. And oh, it was like, it, we stayed in a compound cobra that was, was, in, was it in the house? It was in the house. Yeah. Oh, and they were catching scorpions and taking it out. And it was like really staying in like a jungle. And we, the reason why we stayed in a police officer's house, because he had, a house that was i guess like more properly built do you know what i mean um that we could stay in and had like a bit of air conditioning it was it was unreal man like it was fucking crazy (laughs) the cobra thing has made me so nervous i'm so (laughs) scared of snakes that's that's my actual nightmare how were the actual shows like how like where were the insane like insane five shows there yeah in this part like yeah and we also went to malaysia and like thailand too but this part of indonesia was like like the first show was the rooftop of a of a four story hotel, and there were there were like ten bands that played this show, and every genre, every genre, and 
we, it, we, it was an open air rooftop. And this, I think, story spells out, like, I guess, just where we were, like the kind of how removed we were, because they had like a scar like punk band and they had a song that was called Magic Asshole. Magic Asshole. And it, it, all the kids were doing pylons and they had this lyric that's going, magic fucking asshole, magic fucking asshole. And then we were at, we were watching this like fucking pissing ourselves being like, they're singing about a fucking magic asshole. Like, yeah. I'm imagining like fucking Hagrid's anus, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, what, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Like, what yeah. is it? Like, Dumbledore's like taking a crap or something. You know what I mean? Like, what, what is this song? And the promoter was like, this is a punk band. And in this town, there are people who are still heavily involved with black magic and magic fucking asshole is a political song. That's calling it's a song against black magic. It's calling you're a, you're a magic. You're, you're an asshole that practices magic is what they were saying. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so that was a political song against black magic in the area. And I was like, <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> like, Damn. you know what I'm saying? Like it was, yeah. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> this is where that we were. Is- yeah, talk about culture shock. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah. uh, I mean, so Touche did Southeast Asia once, and and similarly, it was like just the – it was very wild. It was very like we never knew really what was happening. Yeah. You know, we never really knew uh, if we were being taken to the right spot. You know, like yes. there was just a lot of miscommunication and also language barrier and all of that. So we were just of kind of like flying by the seat of our pants. We were like – it is what it is, but the shows were all just like everybody was just so thrilled to have you there, and it was just like it was an experience that I'll never forget. And you guys just went there again recently, right? Speed went there earlier this year, yeah. Did you see anybody that you met on that early tour? Was there any? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yes, yes. I made like uh, uh, I, a lot of friends that I would consider family from that region, um, and uh, I my family is Malaysian, so I already have like a quite a deep affinity with uh, that region in particular um but i made so many we had made so many amazing friends at that period and friends who i if i go back in or go back and visit for to see my family in malaysia or whatever i would stop over in singapore or or wherever else and hang out with these people so um yeah doing the southeast asia tour this year was just kind of just like reconnecting with friends like for, for, for a decade now yeah absolutely yeah oh that's beautiful that's amazing um so when so endless heights i'm assuming just you know how it what year did it end was it like 2017 2018 it it technically hasn't ended because oh, we okay. haven't like broken up but like it we had a conversation in 2019 i think it was and it was like the start of 2019 i think and it was like or uh we've done we've we've ticked those boxes we've ticked yeah. all those boxes and we're really happy and 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 it's it's time to to end things on a high, and let's just let's just put our minds into something else now. Let's move on in the next chapter of our lives, you know. Um, totally. And there's something cool about not actually like calling it, you know, no, like you because it's one of those things where it's like if the right thing happens or the right whatever, like to get you guys to get on stage together, it'll just make you and all your friends and all the people who love the band excited because you're gonna play again. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, we were we were we were going to do. A lot. We were planning the last shows, and we were, we we hadn't planned it, planned it, but we were like, okay, we're gonna. We consciously said we were gonna wrap it up, but obviously later that, like, we went to COVID. So yeah. then, then that was, and then now we spit out the other end. And it's like someone's has changed. It's like just whatever, like you know, 
So were you, so when Speed started, were you always thinking about how you wanted to front a band? Like what was the motivation for Speed for you? Well, Endless Heights, you know, we'd, we'd done so much and it put a lot, a lot on hold just to go on tour and do everything. Um, and we ticked all those boxes that, uh, that were, I guess, you know, within our, within our hands. Um, but there were a couple of things I still hadn't done. Um, and I wanted to play in a band with my brother and I wanted to sing and sing in a hardcore band. Um, but I also had, we all, I also knew that like, I, w- I didn't want to tour anymore and I didn't want to like go so hard with a band. I, I was like, I was probably maybe 26 or mm-hmm. 25, 26 when speed or when endless heights was stopping. And I was like, I've got to, we got to chill out now, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so speed started as like, a band to tick those boxes, a band that was going to be like an easy band to just play in Sydney because in Sydney as well, we just didn't have enough bands to play hardcore shows and our friends were booking it and we were we were obviously the ones involved out here. We could see everything for what it was. And so that was what the why Speed started. It was, a, it, was a, a, it started as a band that I could sing in with my brother uh, to just be an Australian hardcore band. <laughs> yeah. And now look at you. Now you're playing more shows. Now you're playing a lot of shows, and people uh, people are really connecting with it. That is that did that take you by surprise as as things grew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it has it has taken so much so much mental reshuffling and yeah. uh, so much reflection and. Yeah, it's taken a lot of time and energy to process what's happening because this is, comp- yeah, it's so many facets of this have have been unprecedented and yeah, there have been so many life changing moments with speed that I'm so incredibly grateful for. Uh, which there's just some things in life you can't plan for. I am here to update you on the upcoming releases from Persistent Vision Records. You can pre-order. The incredible split between Massanera and Quiet Fear. It's a collaborative split. Both of these bands are great. If you're a fan of Screamo, sign right up. You can pre-order these through Persistent Vision and through Deathwish Inc. Also available is a self-titled 12-inch from the band Goisha, who are a new DC band featuring members of Genocide Pact and Brain Tourniquet. They're playing death metal with elements of grind, black metal, and punk. And lastly, a record from the band Wreath, the album is called The Land Is Not An Idle God. They are a dark melodic crust band out of London, featuring members of the iconic bands Fall of Afrafa and Morrow. Head up Persistent Vision or Deathwish Inc. to order now. How many shows did you guys get? Like, did you guys play enough shows before the pandemic happened? Because the demo came out in 2019. I don't know when in 2019 it came out. Was it like towards the end? Was it? It came out two days ago. Uh, four, no. four, 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 four years ago, two days ago. So, like, Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. October 18, I think on 2019. So at the end of, end of and we played one show uh, that year. And then we played, I think, four more shows between january and march and and then COVID hit totally yeah okay so yeah i can totally understand also at that point it's like it totally just feels like a thing to do with your brother and some friends you know trying something new something like a way to you know and then COVID hits and people are indoors and you know so many bands uh got discovered 
all over because people were just like at home on the internet. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's, that's when, you know, I first heard your, your band name was definitely probably like, you know, maybe towards the end of 2020 or something like that. Uh -huh. Um, and what do you, so when, what was your first show back once you were able to play shows? Uh, we did a Christmas show, um, at the, La uh, at the Lansdowne in Sydney. Um, and that was December, 2021, 20 I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just like a lot. How was show. that for show back? Just fucking unbelievable, like like insane, like like yeah. It it was a crazy time, Jeremy, because like we started the band, and and at the end of twenty nineteen, as I said, like it was it, the timing was a big part of the story because you know being in being in Australia for one, we have a scene that's is office often been overlooked and hasn't been a hotspot for hardcore and it hasn't been and and in the years that were leading up to it it wasn't thriving it was on the decline and i guess when you're from an australian scene as, as a hardcore band you just live within your own parameters and you have a you have a vision and a trajectory of how you can operate what you can achieve and what you're fulfilled by and that was just by yeah. playing six shows on the weekend with my friends but when we started there was definitely a little bit of a buzz from like the first kind of show and it was and uh it wasn't anything like what it is now, but there was some excitement and it was like, we could already start to hear like, for example, this is, a, this, this is the thing that kind of made me realize that something maybe was happening. This is the first time I, I, I realized in my mind that there was, there was something different with hardcore that was happening. And it was because before we played the first show, I was, I was at the gym and this guy comes up to me at the gym and goes, Hey, are you in speed? And I was like, yes. And he was like, and he was this guy that I've seen at the gym many times. This is like a, a normal guy. And I was like, oh, I've been listening to your demo. It's fucking sick. My friend sent it to me. And I was like, what the fuck? He was like, yeah, I recognized you from the cover. Like, because we had a photo of us on the cover of the demo. Yeah. And he, and he was like, yeah, I'm coming to your show like next month. And this is like, we hadn't even played a single show. We hadn't done it. We just put a demo online and no one knows about what hardcore is in Australia. You know, like we, we the whole conversation is how do we literally get more people to shows and how do we get people to care about this shit again? Because everyone is... No one, no one really, yeah. no one likes hardcore at the moment. You know what I mean? In Australia, anyone, no one thinks it's cool anymore. You know, everyone's kind of ashamed to say they're in it almost. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And um, I get it. Yeah. So yeah, like that was, I was like, what the fuck? Like, and he, I was like, how do you know this? And like, he was like, oh, this person sent it to me. And then that, like these guys were talking about it and then they sent it to me and blah, blah, blah. And anyways, I was like, what? this is, he's so far removed. And yeah, the first show was like sold out and like, which is Damn. nuts. It was, yeah, yeah, it was like 200 people. It was like fucking nuts. Like, only, and, and I, long story short, like from that beginning, I kind of, there was something that was kind of changing. Uh, uh, we noticed. And going into COVID, there, we, we did this show with Terra. It was Terra, Speed opened a show with Terra. It's on like Head 5.6. And it was a sold out show as well. And Terra, and Scott Vogel was like, he said something like, like pretty much was saying that he was so blown away by that show he was like i can't like he was so like wow like what the f that was such an insane show he told like sunny like 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 take like save that and 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 like make sure like that like you keep that, sh that that video forever or something like that because and also for us we were like holy fuck this is a totally different show like it was sold out 350 people people were going insane the every band went off like the whole the whole show is recorded on, on 856 and anyways after that we went to COVID and we just knew like there's something that's changing. People are, are switching on and people are caring again. 
And so Josh and I started this podcast called Forge Ahead. It was a hardcore podcast. And we knew that like, if, if we can't play shows, if we can't like have a physical setting where we can see people, like at least let's just, let's just keep this discourse going. Let's keep talking and keep connected with our friends in this time of, you know, alienation. And, uh, and I think that that, like, because of that, that just, I felt more connected than ever in those few years, like with people. And uh, anyways, I guess what I, I, I'm talking about this because we were able to just kind of like discuss the culture a bit and just really kind of sit down with people from the other side of the country and have good conversations and kind of, I guess, just keep everything intact within our, within our own realm and just getting spit out of the other end and having the show like that was the first time that we'd be able to see it in a physical setting. And it was just, I, I think the show sold out like the pre-sales for that show sold out in like two hours or something like online, like pre-sale online tickets. Yeah. You know? And it was like, holy fuck, you know? And it's kind of set a precedent to just how things were going. Like people were excited it, about hardcore. It's amazing how time and place and just everything like that can really work. Cause you know, it's one of these things where you you feel like, oh, like the scene doesn't exist here and whatever, but maybe without realizing that like there's something percolated under percolating underneath where everybody is wants this thing to happen, but it just took the right thing or maybe the right band to get people to kind of look at each other and be like, let's fucking do this. You know, like let's let's build this thing together. And yeah, that's that's just I don't know. That's that's uh very motivating and and uh and super exciting. What did it feel like for you? to perform live as a front person for the first time like did was it funny for you like did you have to in this funny for you in the sense of like did you know how to move on stage you know like you've been playing guitar in bands for so long that like it's so funny when you finally do it as a front person where you're like how do how does my body move like what do i do <laughs> i know exactly what you're saying i had no idea i had no idea what do i do with my left hand while it's, which hand should i hold the microphone with like uh right left or the right yeah. one or like you know like like what do i Fully, fully. All I knew was just yeah. the marsh. All I knew, but yeah. also the first show, bro, that was like literally the most extreme high intensity like cardio I've ever done. And I remember I had the fucking biggest cramp in like my my my, my stomach, like from oh, no. bracing so hard the whole time. And it felt like I had literally just done the most insane CrossFit ever. It was fucked. <laughs> I was like, yeah. holy shit, like this is completely different. And it's anything funny else. Like however much cardio you can do going into something you don't realize how exhausting it is until you do it the first time it is like, literally like nothing else yeah like after two songs you're like Ooh, yeah yeah like, i am pushing so hard with my breath maybe i don't need to push that hard and then yeah it's something that you kind of figure out as time goes on to like you know make it work but no it's such a trip the first time you do it where you're just like man i i built this up so much in my head but i didn't know how hard it actually is yeah i honestly jeremy i'm fully figuring it out still now to yeah. this day i don't know really what i'm doing i'm just fully figuring it out and learning as we go i'm loving the process but uh but i mean that's you know that's what this shit is right that's like that's hardcore so yeah yeah uh before we wrap up i want to ask about how did your connection with uh with flat spot records start because I feel like, you know, again, a time and place thing where Flatspot has obviously been around for, for a number of years now, but even they have really had a moment, I feel like since like 2019, 2020 is when things, you know, the bands that they brought on have all kind of blown up all at the same time. And it's cool because they're from so many different parts of the world, really. Um, yeah. How did that come into your life? I, I've spoken about this um, 
I've been asked this a few times and I really, I, I, I love to talk about this because I feel like I'm on a journey with Flatspot, the team at Flatspot and Ricky, uh, especially because, and it's, it's one of the most meaningful parts of, of speed and what this is that the, 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 the whole journey of speed is so much more meaningful because this is something that's happening with people that you love that you have just invested nothing else but love into. And then all of a sudden the world starts to give something back, you know, and yeah. it was no, nothing beyond that. And Flatspot's really part of that because in April, 2020, we were in like really peak uncertainty with COVID. And like, it was when I remember seeing the headlines that like the, the morgues were overflowing in New York and stuff. And um, Ricky called me on FaceTime, on FaceTime call and was like, I mean, I, I, I like what are, you, what are you guys doing? Like I kind of want to sign speed. Like what's what's the go? And we went back and forth. Like on we had this conversation for for ages on the phone. And I I was spinning out because I was like, this is the this is a legendary label. You know, they had put out Iron Mind in Australia, which is a, a, a legendary band for us, but also TOI demo, Backtrack demo, Minus demo, like so many amazing bands. And and I said to him at the end of the call, I was like, bro, like you know, we're not. A, we don't have that much to offer here. We're not a big band. Like we don't have a big scene. Um, but I'll tell you, like, if we do this together, I can just guarantee you, like, we are going to run it hard. Like we are going to, we're going to represent Flatspot as hard as we can. And we're never going to look back. Um, and it's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And, and, and we did it. And, and he signed an Australian band off a demo at the very start of COVID with no assurance or no certainty or no like we're from australia man like you know what i mean yeah. we're literally from australia and we, and you, you can't even leave your house you're like I, I was we were locked into our house i couldn't even go to the shops let alone go to america and he right. signed this band and i'm like that was such a that was such a motivating and inspiring kind of like it was such a g up bro like it was like holy fuck like they, they believed in us that much that yeah. And in, in anyways, I didn't know what we could offer and I didn't know how, I just, how we could kind of quote unquote repay him. But rather, other than just kind of believing in it too and, you know, doing the best we can as, as a band. And I think, uh, you know, since then I've pretty much talked to Ricky almost every single day <laughs> since in the last yeah. like, three years or whatever it was. And we, we, we talk about everything with speed and we talk about flat spot stuff and we have this vision together and like him and I G we G'd each other up to quit, quit, quit our jobs. I was like, bro, quit your job. Like let's do flat spot. Like let's build this shit together. And he was, and we were like, okay, we, we quit our jobs at the same time. And you know what wow. I mean? And, and like, uh, yeah, like just kind of build this kind of vision together and just kind of, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of believe in each other. And it's a gift, man. Like it's, yeah, uh, obviously, obviously, him being a guitarist in Backtrack too, which was so special to us, and yeah, it's hardcore has given me these kind of relationships. Hardcore has given me like the essence of 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 of, of what music is about, of of sharing that with human connection and 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 meeting people that you connect with in such a special, unique way in other in crazy parts of the world and. It at this age, as I said before, like I get more, more and more grateful for these relationships more than ever because as you get older, you realize you see more of the world and you learn more of what other people have and what they don't have, and you reflect on what you do and what's important to you. And and 
it always comes back to this man you know so yeah i'm so fucking grateful and and i'm just absolutely loving every second of the journey man i love that that's awesome yeah i ricky is such a sweet guy and it's so cool seeing i mean it's similar to what you're saying it's funny like touche and backtrack are two bands that could not sound further apart right but like we met those guys i think the first time both of our bands were on tour and we met up in this in little rock arkansas which is not a place that has a lot of shows it's like deep in the south you know and both of our bands were on tour and we ended up on the same build together and i remember us going into it being like oh my god like we sound so different than them like we're so soft compared to them but we ended up all hanging out that night and you know have stayed cool like i've known ricky since then i've known vitalo since then and like looking at how those guys' careers and lives because of hardcore have changed so much obviously vitalo amazing manager turnstile everything you know like it's incredible and then ricky with fucking flat spot like it's just so motivating and exciting to see these two guys like do so much um when we met them i think in like seriously i think it was like 2009 or something which is just so crazy yeah you know absolutely i feel you i mean like we were hanging out with vitalo in like literally a basement here in sydney just playing new york hardcore covers to a room of 30 people you know what i mean yeah just chilling and it's it's amazing yeah hey hey absolutely. jeremy you know we I, we didn't say one thing i we actually met i forgot to say we met well before actually that first endless heights tour you're kidding me no bro we met bro we met in 2010 when we were there with title fight you, yes wait, what? Yes, because Endless Heights opened that show. Are you fucking kidding me right now? No, no, I'm serious. Because that was uh, when I was thinking of, I was looking through the questions. I was just thinking about my first time of like experiencing crazy yeah. stuff. And bro, Title Fight came to Australia the first time in, I think it was 2010. Or, and, and it was with Touche and Break Even. Yes. And, you got, and at this time, Title Fight was the biggest fucking thing in the in universe and they had come to 2011 okay yeah, sorry yeah. sorry but they yeah, it was the biggest thing ever and you uh and, and the combination with touche who had never come as well and you just put out your second album yep. um anyways we played the metro theater which is in the middle of the city and like it's a massive 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 venue it's a venue where like like rappers would play in that, you know, right in the middle. Yeah. It's almost like playing a venue that was in Times Square or something, right? Equivalent in Sydney. And the fact that the, the first ever tour was there was nuts and there was a barrier. And anyways, I remember I got the call up to if we could play this show and I was at school in the library. And I remember sc fucking screaming, like being like, holy fuck, we're going to play this fucking show at the Metro with Tarifat and Touche. And I remember when you when you played On Asleep at the Metro, it was the yeah. biggest pylon I'd ever seen in my life. On, and there was a barrier. You jumped in the car, there was a barrier and people were piling like nuts in this venue that I'd only ever seen like rap shows at. And like, it was crazy, man. That was the, that show was the, that show for me was the first show that I felt like an actual, I was like, whoa, I'm kind of like a hotshot. I'm playing at the Metro like next to title fight touche and break even this is fucking nuts you know <laughs> dude that's so crazy and it's let me tell you man i mean that i appreciate you sharing that that's so cool i love that so much that's that's uh that's really really sweet we us and title fight didn't know what we were doing when we got that offer right so like yeah. um I'll, i i'm happy to be fully transparent here so like the offer that got sent for both of our bands to come over was more money 
that either of our bands had ever thought to see before. You know what I'm saying? Where we were just like, oh my God, we're going to get this much to go to Australia. Like we were like, we were just like, could not believe it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know what that meant. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. We didn't yeah. know that that meant, oh, the ticket prices are going to be really expensive and you're putting us in these rooms that are way bigger than we probably should be playing. Like we had no idea about any of that. Right. So we'll never, I'll never forget when that tour got announced, the amount of kind of backlash that both of our bands got from people being like, why is it this expensive? Why are you playing these rooms? And that was a huge learning experience for both of our bands. Cause we were like, Oh, that's why, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we just got excited because we're like a bunch of fucking punk kids. All of a sudden it was like, we're getting offered something that we've never ever could have imagined to go somewhere. So we accepted it, not thinking about what that actually meant. Of course. So, so we were like, so scared. We we're just like, Oh my God, dude. Like I, I hope we didn't just blow it. You know what I'm saying? We're like, I hope people actually come out to this. And I remember some of the shows were, did feel a, a little bit under attended on that and it just made us like sad because we we're like fuck we wanted our first time over there to be this like intimate exciting thing and then of course they were in these rooms that had like big barriers and things like that and truth be told like i feel like touche had had a really hard time kind of connecting in australia because we'd been there a few times and every time we'd go it was always like we it was just it felt like a harder scene a harder place for us to to grow and so we tried multiple things like our second time we went with make do and mend our third time we were like fuck it let's go we support it every time i die we're like that's a different scene like maybe that'll connect a little more and we always felt like we were struggling to like really make a make a dent there and it wasn't until the turnover tour that we did with you guys that was our first time being like oh my god like this finally feels like we've we have people here that are down, you know what I'm saying? Um, and that's just, you know, I could be totally misunderstanding it or something like that. But, um, but yeah, that was, that's sort of like how, I, yeah, it was an, it was an interesting time. And um, I'm glad that things, you know, finally seemed to have smoothed out for us over there. But that first time going over was like such a big self-realization of, you know, thinking before accepting, you know what I'm saying? Of course, that's really interesting to hear as well because I didn't get that impression at all. That that first tour has a lot of uh, that tour, first tour has a lot of lore because it was, as I said, the first time seeing those two bands which are insanely hyped and at these incredibly big venues. And I mean, Sydney, that Sydney venue was twelve hundred cap. Can you imagine the first time Title Fight coming? Was, I, I'd never seen a hardcore show that big in my life, like for for these kind of sounding bands. You know, like totally. insane, and it was packed and. And and when I saw the Touche set that day, as I said, like when, when you played Honest Sleep and everything, I was like, I've never ever seen this many kids in Sydney go this crazy f for something like this. Like this is I a say, this size. I want to say the Sydney show was the best show of that. I'm that like even you saying that like that had to have been the best show on the tour because yeah, there was there was some some tougher some tougher ones, but I mean that was one of those nights where you're just like I cannot believe this is happening. I, do you know about the book the bookstore that we played? I was there. There's a photo of it's at Jura, Jura Books, and I'm so yes. glad you brought that up because you did a secret show at the end of the tour. You came back to Sydney to fly out, and you did yes. a show at what was called Jura Books. It's literally a tiny bookstore that could maybe fit 15 people if the books were in the shop. 
Like yes, the, the, they moved. There's a there's like an island shelf in the middle. They moved it out so that people could stand. It maybe fits twenty people. <laughs> so Title Fight and Touche hit a twenty people bookstore. And our guitar player had flown out. So Jamie from Title Fight learned how to play some of our songs that day to play. So, but what was funny, and you know, I'll decide if this gets cut or not. Maybe I'll keep it. But I should. I want to keep it. But. Um, we went over there with our agent who booked us and title fight still books us. Um, and he told us, he said, don't do this show. And we're like, why? And they're like, the guy who books it finds out that you did this. It's not going to go. He's going to be pissed because a lot of these shows were underattended, and he's going to take this personally as if you're, you know, like maybe this was planned all along or something like that, like whatever. Um, and we were like, uh, fuck it. We still want to play it. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so we played it, you know, and like you're saying, like, there's probably what, tw- 30 people there, 40 people there. Maybe. I don't remember. I, I remember it was very packed. It was very packed. It's the tiniest venue I could possibly think of. In, totally. I couldn't think of a smaller venue in Sydney, literally. Right. And then sure enough, the next day we're like going to the airport and our agent shows me his email and it's an email from the guy who booked the tour threatening to not pay us and to uh threaten our visas for ever coming back have a fucking cry bro like that was that was i i know i they're they're not even involved anymore you know what i'm saying like fuck it like it just and they never even were like fuck it yeah exactly so and it was yeah it was a whole thing we had to like ask that guy's blessing to like come back when we came there with every with uh with uh make doing men like it was a whole fucking dramatic thing just for playing that intimate show at the very end of the tour which like that show did not threaten the sydney show in any capacity you know we didn't even know about it until the day before that's just a common story of when you have non-hardcore people try to fucking get involved with hardcore you know what i'm saying like that's just absolutely what it was yeah. absolutely that was Uh, that's a photo of i'm gonna find the photo and present please do please do man um all right yo i've been chatting your ear off for over 90 minutes i'm gonna hit you with the last question which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you had been working so hard towards i think it was the first time that we went to the first time i i i, I stepped on a plane and um in 2012 uh stepped on a plane to tour in 2012 um and the did our first full australian tour where we were like consecutive dates for two weeks non-stop and it was with basement it was with basement from the uk and uh i remember i remember growing up in like uh being the local band being in the, the, the local band who would like open the shows and have to bring backline and i remember i have a vivid memory of this tour it's called the i'd rather be gigging tour and it was like four awesome australian bands like uh, a package tour, the Broderick, Hopeless, and Miles Away, and Break Even, I think. And I remember at the end of the show, everyone was packing up. Everyone had already left, and I w- people were carrying the merch out. And I was standing there because I was waiting for the cab to get off stage to take off. And I remember seeing this is silly, but I just remember seeing like dudes in in the other bands that were just kind of like dancing to the to the house music together and partying and being and they were talking about some inside joke that had obviously been going on for the tour i remember just standing there kind of on the sidelines awkwardly waiting for my cab as a local band and just being like fuck this looks like so much fun this looks so cool these guys are on tour together just having a sick ass time fucking playing hardcore shows and i wish i could experience this someday i wish i could just go on tour someday like this 
and have these kind of friendships like like that look so cool and fun. And I'm on that basement tour was the big the, the, the probably the most significant realization of that because I was like, holy fuck, I'm touring with one of my favorite bands and becoming friends with them. And when we stepped on a plane, we had to go, we had to fly to Perth. And I remember sitting down on the plane for the first time and looking at the plane ticket and being like, holy fuck, I'm on a plane with gear in the plane to fucking fly to play a show. Like it was yeah. like holy fuck I'm not this is not a van it's not like you know fucking a, like a like a, a car or whatever that we this is it just legitimized it a bit more and and that tour being on tour with them and, and that whole experience was like i was like holy fuck we i'm doing what like this is real deal shit now this is like I'm touring with a band from overseas and like you know what i mean like we're printing merch and like we're driving ourselves and we have tour laminates and like yeah this is unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? Just having that whole experience. And it was, that was the first and last time I can remember crying on a tour, bro. I fucking, at the end of that tour, I remember we were in Melbourne. We'd eaten dinner. We played two shows in Melbourne at a friend's house. We were about to fly, drive home back to Sydney. It was nighttime and basement about to get on the plane. I don't give a fuck about talking about this because it was so, I remember sitting there and I just couldn't help it. I just started crying because I was like, I don't know when I'm going to see these guys again. And it was just everything I've ever dreamt of that I ever wanted. It happened. I was, I, I toured with my fucking friend, my, my, my own band with my friends around the country, you know? It's amazing. I love that. It's so <laughs> wild how that stuff can just creep up on you all of a sudden. It's like you accept one thing, like you you accept the tour and you're excited and then all of a sudden you're just having to do all of the planning and be like, wait, oh, oh my God, we're, I'm, I have a laminate. Oh my God. I can, you know, I, we have to figure out flights. We have to figure out how to get all this gear on the flight. Like all of that stuff just like rushes up at one point. And then, yeah, when you're sitting on the plane, that's when it kind of hits you sometimes where you're like, oh my God, this is, this is the thing. This that is was, it. that was 2012. So fucking 11 years ago, I was 19. So That's like incredible. just and good for you forget it at that age too. You know, like you were starting young. This is awesome. You know? I I yeah, I just feel blessed, man. We'd have fucking we had our friends got into the same time and we just never stopped it's at a young age. And, yeah. Jim, this has been great. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, man. Thank you, Jeremy. You're a fucking legend. I really, really appreciate it. It's it's been fun. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jem for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was produced, edited, and made to sound so great by my boy, Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. Thank you for being here. And hey, reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Jem answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. All right, take care of yourself. Happy holidays. Bye-bye.